well as those that are joining us online. We're so glad, so glad you're here. And uh, we're, we're jumping into a new series, and I'm excited to be a part of that. My name's Ron. I, uh, I'm just privileged to, to serve together with the pastoral team here and to be a part of this, this church and to continue in this series, Opposition, Facing Opposition. Uh, we, live, we live in a world that doesn't always agree. We find disagreements all around us sometimes. Sometimes they're just simple. Uh, we disagree on how to do things or just some, some views on things, right? But that can lead to opposition. I was thinking this over this past week. I don't think everybody in this room probably agrees on what football team they like. All right. I was going to say, if I, if I called out for everybody to say, the team that they like. I think we'd hear maybe 30 different, we'd hear a lot of different names, right? We might not agree on what sport we like. Perhaps not all of us like football, and I'm sure not everybody likes my team, the Bills, and that, that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, but sometimes those simple things, like disagreements over a sports team, can even lead to tension and opposition. I've seen people get in fights over, over sports games. Um, I'm a parent, and I watch my kids play sports, and they play for a Christian school, and sometimes there's tension in Christian school sports. Uh, anyway, another, another topic. Sometimes we don't agree on politics, do we? Maybe not on just simply how to do things in the day-to-day order or our priorities, what's most important, what's a secondary issue. We don't always agree. And that can lead to tension. It can lead to opposition. It can lead to difficulty. But that's not what we're talking about here. Those are not the type of oppositions that we're discussing in this series. This opposition is much deeper, much harder, and it deals with matters of faith. The things that we believe, and as we present our beliefs, we receive opposition, pushback, difficulty from the people around us in our culture. And that's what we're talking about in this series, Facing Opposition. I want to think through this a little bit with you this morning. Have you ever, have you ever done something that you believed was good? Maybe it was kind. It was trying to help the other person. And as you did that, you faced opposition from someone who didn't even understand you. They didn't, they didn't get who you were. And you're trying to be good, but, but they're, they're pushing back. Maybe you said something you thought was kind, and you got criticized for it right off the bat, maybe even from someone you love, from people that love you most. Ever received that kind of criticism? Maybe you've found out that behind the scenes, people were talking behind your back. And they were hurting your reputation. And it was for something you didn't even do. That happened to anybody else? It's happened to me. We, we can be trying to live in the right way, trying to do the right things, trying to say the right things, trying to be kind, and still receive opposition, still receive difficulty. And take that one step further. Often, often we're trying to live like Jesus, aren't we? And receive pushback. And that's the, type of, that's the type of opposition we're talking about. We're trying to live for Jesus, 
We're trying to live his character and we receive pushback. And, and often we think, well, like, I'm going to live for Jesus. Why am, I, why am I being treated this way? I want to take it one step further. When we've been living for Jesus, why would we expect to be treated any differently than Jesus was treated? So we're going to see that this morning. We're going to look at that this morning. Jesus was, was loving, right? He was loving and yet he was treated poorly. Jesus was kind. He spoke words of of kindness, and yet he was constantly criticized. Jesus' character was maligned. His education was mocked. He was was treated with opposition at every turn. His hometown was slandered. But Jesus continued to give grace and truth. Most days... (laughs) All this opposition happened even before breakfast, let alone all the way through the day and, and through even to the evening. And you can imagine there's times when Jesus has to just get away and pray. But if Jesus was treated that way and he was the perfect human, how could we expect to be treated any less? And I think how Jesus faced opposition and how he handled that opposition can be very instructive for us today because we're facing some of the same things. And and we're just we're trying to live we're trying to live out God's character. And so how Jesus faced opposition can help us face opposition. So how do we prepare for these type of situations in 20 2023. I want to look at that with you, and we're just going to turn to God's Word, and I want to see Jesus' example. Uh, would you turn with me or, or tap in your Bible app to John chapter 7 as we continue to look at Jesus' example facing opposition? Let's look how Jesus faced opposition. Um, if you need a Bible, there's, there's one in the, in the row in front of you. I'll be on page 858 in the chair Bible. If you need a Bible, we'd love you to take that home as our gift. Um, We want you to have a Bible. Uh, Feel free to keep that copy. Take a look at John, John chapter 7. And jump right in in verse verse number 1. After this, so after what? Uh, Justin taught last week about the feeding of the 5,000, the amazing miracles, the Jesus was the, the one to go to. He was the one to see. He was doing the amazing things. But as the chapter rounded out, there was some tough teaching and people began to leave. And Jesus stayed in Galilee and after this, okay, so we come into to chapter 7. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee and he wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. Talk about opposition. So right into verse 1, right at the very beginning, we're already into stiff opposition. In fact, this is a plot for his death. Jesus' life is in danger, and it's in danger in Judea. That's where Jerusalem's at. That's where the center of everything in in the country of of Israel was, was happening. It would all center back to Jerusalem. So Jesus is hanging out in Galilee. He's He's been there, he's been doing the miracles, he's been showing the signs of who he is. And then the teaching got tough, so the crowds came, and then the crowds left. And if you want to know a little bit more about that, check out Justin's message last week. 
And you can, you can see a, that tough teaching that Jesus presented. But here's the trouble. Verse 2. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters. Now that doesn't sound like trouble to you, probably. Uh, it's the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Shelters. Why is that difficult? Uh, because three times a year, the Jewish men would all need to go to Jerusalem. And the last time Jesus had been in Jerusalem was for the last feast, chapter 5 of the book of John. He was there, and it was Sabbath, and he healed a man on Sabbath, and then the Jewish leaders got really mad to the point where they began to plot his life, plot against his life. So now, now the feast is here again, the next feast, Feast of Tabernacles. It's time to go back to Jerusalem, but that's where the plot for his life is. Uh, have, you, have you ever had the, the time, a circumstance maybe at Christmas or Thanksgiving or the whole family's together and some topic breaks out and everybody disagrees and it becomes a family fight um, and, and it blows up and you know going throughout the year it was never resolved and here Christmas is coming up again. Who wants to go back into the fight? Who wants to go back and bring that up again? Well, it's kind of the situation. The last time Jesus was in Jerusalem, they began to plot for his life. The plot's still there. The, the, the trial for his physical health is, is there. And now it's time to go back. And it's so much bigger than an argument. People wanted Jesus dead. So let's see, let's see what happens. In, in verse 3, Jesus' brothers say to him, so they're preparing for this feast. And they, they come to him and say, leave here, go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. So, so go, go to Jerusalem. Uh, they go on and, and he says, you can't become famous if you hide like this. Don't stay in Galilee if you want to become famous. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. And John puts a note here. He says, for even his brothers didn't believe him. So as you think about what they just said, go to Jerusalem. Go show everybody how great you are. They're not saying, go to Jerusalem and show everybody how great you are. They're saying, well, you, you've, you've kind of been playing in the little leagues, and it's gone okay. See how that works in Jerusalem. They're mocking him. They expect him to fail. And, and they want him to go because they don't believe him. So there's, there's the opposition in Jerusalem. Go there. Go see how it works there. He, he, he has opposition right from his own family. Have, have you ever experienced opposition in your own family? I'm, I'm sure some of us have. Look at Jesus' reply. Now is not the right time for me to go. But you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me. Because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not come yet. And after saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. But, verse 10, after his brothers left for the festival, Jesus went also, though secretly. And uh, Jesus' little brothers, they're mocking him. And, uh, and he says, just, just calmly, 
just explains, you know, it's not my time. I'm not going to go publicly. Jesus wasn't after fame anyway. He wasn't after uh, getting a viral video to go on one of the miracles. That wasn't what he was shooting for. He was showing people who he was. His brothers did not believe at this point. So quietly Jesus went. Not to be the center of the tension at the feast, but to go and, and to worship with Israel. And Jesus faces opposition from his own, his own household. How about, how about at the feast? What's going on at the feast? We get a picture into that in verse, uh, verse 10. Uh, Jesus went secretly and uh, out of the public view. What's going on behind the scenes? The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival. And they kept asking if anyone had seen him. Verse 12, there was a lot of grumbling about him in the crowds. Some argued, he's a good man. But others said, he's nothing but a fraud who, decla- who deceives the people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public. For they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. You kind of picture what's going on behind the scenes here. Now, Jesus is coming, but he's coming secretly. But all the Jewish men need to come to the feast, right? So the leaders expect him to be there. The people expect him to be there. Uh, there's, there's all this commotion going on. People are talking behind the scenes, whispering, gossiping. Yeah, he's a good man. Look what he's done. No, no, he's, he's just it's fraud. He's just deceiving people. Uh, so there's all this all this disagreement, the leaders are trying to find him because they want to arrest him, and they're hunting him down. And no one's willing to speak favorably because they're afraid of the leaders. And so they're, they're keeping quiet. Jesus literally has no public support. No public support at this point. And so as these questions are all swirling, as the people are all disagreeing, as the, as the slander's going on behind the scenes and people are gossiping, uh, I'm, I'm thinking in my own head, if that's all going on around me, maybe I just stay secret. <laughs> I just let it go on and, and I'll go back home. But that's not what Jesus does. Take a look at verse 14. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple So let's go to the most public place in the festival. He goes up to the temple and he began to teach. And of course, the people hailed him at that point. Take a look at how they respond. The people were were surprised when they heard him. Not because they loved his teaching. They said this, how does he know so much when he hasn't been trained? The people are reacting to his teaching. Again, not favorable. Again, push back. Push back. How, how can he say these things? He hasn't been trained. And, and so in that, in that time period, how someone would teach, a rabbi would teach, is they would cite other people. So they'd cite other rabbis. That's what gave them authority. So if I can, I can teach this point, and I have it backed up on, on this rabbi, and, and it was said by this rabbi, and this one, and this one, and then that's why I say, Jesus didn't do any of that. He just simply spoke God's truth. And and see how he responds. He says, Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. 
And Jesus just calmly responds. He calmly explains. He says, okay, okay. You challenge my training. You challenge how I speak. But I just want to let you know that I'm just speaking God's message. I'm speaking God's message. Jesus will go on in the next number of verses and begin to keep uh, kind of questioning them. He puts out questions. He challenges their beliefs. Uh, they, they evaluated themselves based on how they followed the law. And so Jesus questions that. Verse, verse 19. He says, Moses gave you the law, but none of you obeys it. In other words, you don't live up to the law. Now that's, that's a challenge. That's a challenge because that's how they evaluated themselves. And, and Jesus goes on and he says, uh, there's, this plot to, there's this plot to kill me. So you say you follow the law, but in fact you are trying to kill me. Where in the law did it say murder was okay? In, in fact, the Ten Commandments say murder is not okay. <laughs> you shall not murder. And, and that's evidence of what's going on behind the scenes in this plot. That's evidence that you're not following the law. And look how the people respond directly. The crowd replies, you're demon-possessed. You're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? And maybe in the greater crowd, there's people there that aren't involved in that plot, but there are Jewish leaders that are directly involved in this plot for Jesus' life. And Jesus, Jesus challenges that. Take a look at, at verse, uh, verse 25. Uh, Jesus will go on in, in 21 and on, and he'll challenge them. He says, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you were amazed? But you work on the Sabbath? And he gives them a reason. Well, here's your inconsistencies going on. Let me ask you some questions. Let me... Let me delve into your beliefs and your inconsistencies too. And then take a look at the reaction of the crowd in verse 25. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem, so these are the locals, they've heard about the plot, they know what's going on, they know the leaders are after, after Jesus. Some of them probably saw him heal the, uh, the man in chapter 5. They, they've seen the result of Jesus' work and they've seen the opposition against him. And so they ask each other, in verse 25. Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? But here he is, speaking in public, and they say nothing to him. So the leaders want to kill him. Why are they letting him speak? If he's so bad, why are they letting him speak? They begin to ask these good questions. Maybe they're beginning to have a little bit of faith. Take a look at how it continues. Could our leaders possibly believe that he's the Messiah? Maybe they changed their minds. If they're letting him speak, maybe they've shifted. But how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. The Messiah is just going to pop out of nowhere. Maybe he'll just appear. No one will know where he comes from. And, and so they quickly talk themselves out of belief. They, they've started to believe, they've started to ask some good questions, but they talk themselves right out of belief and maybe go right back to what they've been fed from the Jewish leaders. 
And so Jesus, he addresses that. He addresses their questions. And as Jesus is teaching in the temple in verse, verse 28, he says, Yes, you know me and you know where I'm from, but I'm not here on my own. And Jesus says, Okay, you have a question of origin. The point is not where I come from, but who sent me? I'm not here on my own. I'm doing God's work. I'm here with God's message. And so he challenges them that he's sent by God. And, and what this does is infuriate the Jewish leaders. They just get more and more upset as the chapter goes on. They kind of get more and more stuck in their, their plot for his life. But other people, other people begin to believe. Verse 31, even in the opposition, even in the difficulty, even when people are challenging Jesus, verse 31, many among the crowd at the temple believed in him. And, and I love that. Because often we get focused on the opposition and what's going wrong. And we miss the fact that even in the difficulty, even in the opposition, some might believe. And so people believed here. And they say, after all, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? How could the Messiah do anything more? This guy is as messianic as it gets. He, he's got to be the one. He couldn't be more like what the prophecies say. How could we believe in anything less? And I like Peter's statement from last week in chapter 6. If we don't believe in you, where else would we go? And I think they're challenged with the same thing. He couldn't be more like what the Bible says, what the scriptures say the Messiah is going to be. But belief brings, brings opposition. Belief brings opposition. And when the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, starting to believe, they and the leading priests sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus. People start to believe the, the opposition escalated. But as those temple guards approach, Jesus says this, I will be with you only a little bit longer, then I will return to the one who sent me. And he continues to talk about that. He continues to kind of calmly explain that. He's got these guys descending on him. And those temple guards, those temple guards, they are, they're the big guns. They are the most courageous of, of Israel. They are the strongest. They are the, they are the special forces of the temple. And so the big guys are descending. The leaders are really gunning for him. And Jesus just calmly explains Hey, I'm going to be here a little while, but then I'll be gone. And we find out later in the chapter that they're just, they can't, they've never heard anyone speak like this, and they just stop. Jesus slips away, slips back into the crowd, and, and they're just amazed by his teaching. What has Jesus dealt with by this point in the chapter? Think about some of these things. He's been under physical attack. Direct physical attack. There's a plot to kill him. He has, he has multiple times they've been trying to arrest him. So the, 
The leaders have been hunting him down. Eventually the leaders said, we're going to arrest him ourselves. Then they, they bring in the temple guards. He's been under emotional attack. From the very beginning, his family expresses disbelief, mocks him, throws him under the bus. He's been under attack from the crowd. They've threatened his reputation. They've been gossiping about him. They've been throwing rumors around. They've been besmirching him. They even throw up spiritual accusations that you're demon-possessed. And he's under this constant attack. He's found division, unbelief, confusion. No one is there supporting him publicly. He's all alone. How does he, how does he react? Now, I, I just think in my own life, if I was under all that attack, what, what would I do? What would I do? Would I be ready to, to go back in? Remember, Jesus had just slipped away from the guards. He, he avoided the arrest. Uh, they stood down. He's, he's had a time out. He's been under all this attack. How many of you would want to jump back in again? I don't think I would. I mean, I think honestly I'd say, okay, this is the time to just stay silent. I'll just back away. But that's not our God. That's not Jesus. And so Jesus, Jesus goes back in. And I want to check out these next couple of verses. Uh, it says on, in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. So he's been under all of this opposition. And he stands up in the middle and he shouts to the crowd. Well, what's going on? I mean, it doesn't mean much to... The first time I read through that, the last day and the climax of the feast, what is that? It didn't mean much to me, and so I, I looked into the Feast of Tabernacles. What, what happens on the last day? John mentioned that on purpose. Well, here's what happens on the last day in the climax of the Feast. Feast of Tabernacles is, is a time where Israel would go back and remember how God had provided for them in the wilderness. And on that final day of the Feast, the, the high priest would come out, and he would lead them in a... In a, a a traditional procession to remember God's provision of water in the wilderness. When Moses struck the rock and the water poured out. And so the high priest would take this huge crowd from Israel and they would, they would hike down to the Pool of Shalom. They'd take this big pitcher of water, they'd hike down to the Pool of Shalom, they'd fill up the water, and then they'd go all the way back up to the Temple Mount. And while that's ongoing... They're singing the Psalms. They're praising God. And if you look at the, the end of the book of Psalms and the Psalms, they're called Psalms of Ascent. What do they do? They proclaim the Messiah. They seek salvation. They talk about what God is about to do. And so the people are focused on these themes as they go back to the Temple Mount. And, and at the Temple Mount, the high priest would pour out the water on the steps of the temple in a remembrance, here's what God did. God brought water out of the stone. And then he, he reads this. The, the priest would proclaim what Isaiah said in chapter 12, verse 3. With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. 
And that's the capstone of the feast. And I believe that's when Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd and look what he yells. Jesus stood up and shouted to the crowd, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Jesus is using in language that would have been for the Messiah. And he's calling for their belief. Now he could have just slipped back into the crowd. He could have avoided all of this. He didn't have to entice more opposition. But Jesus brought them truth. And he brought them truth with grace. And he stood there and called them to faith. John will go on to say the living waters that Jesus was speaking of is the Holy Spirit. In a way, Jesus is saying, spiritual life comes from me. You will receive the the, the Spirit if you, you come to me and you believe in me. And Jesus gives them the opportunity of faith. Right in the middle of the opposition. What a challenge. What an opportunity. The people are thirsty, they're tired, but they're joyful and excited and they're focused on the Messiah. And Jesus says, here I am. Come and drink. In the middle of that conflict, Jesus didn't run. He didn't hide. He didn't keep quiet. He simply shared truth. Up to this point, people have torn down his reputation. They've treated him with disrespect and sarcasm. The rumors are all over. His family even mocked him. And yet, he didn't back away. Maybe we've struggled with some of those same things. Maybe when we've shared our faith, we've received pushback. Maybe we've seen opposition from our belief. Jesus dealt with the same thing. But how did he respond throughout the chapter? He gave respect. He patiently explained. He would speak in grace. He would give truth. He gave opportunities to believe. And you think of Jesus, he could have have wiped out his opposition. He, He could have silenced them. He could have tapped into superhuman, faith, uh, superhuman strength, right? Who wouldn't want to do that? If, if I was in a fight or people are coming against me, I would love to just say, God, take them out. <laughs> Level them off. But Jesus doesn't do that. He speaks with grace. He courageously goes through the opposition and consistently with calmness and integrity challenges with questions and calls for belief. The writer of Hebrews kind of describes some of the things that that is going on here. It says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. Jesus knows what we go through. He understands what we struggle with, for he faced all of the same testings that we do. Yet he did not sin. 
Wow. And, and I look at that and I say, I can't, I can't attain to this. Look what Jesus did. He understands me. He understands me, but I still feel like I'm, I can't make it. But the writer of Hebrews didn't end there. He goes on to say, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. See, we don't have to stand alone. We don't have to stand on our own strength. When we're going through opposition, when we're going through testing, when we're going through trials, it's not on our own. If it's on my own, I'm, I'm done. But God can provide the grace that we need, that same grace that Jesus taught, that, that he lived, that he spoke. God has that same grace for us. All we need to do is ask. In a post-Christian culture, in a post-Christian world, we're going we're gonna to find tension, I believe. We're going to find pushback. Take a look at how the people reacted at the end of this chapter, chapter 7. The opposition didn't end. Look at, look at the end of the chapter, verse 40. When the crowds heard him say this, so when he stood up, when he challenged them, when he called for their faith, when they heard this, some of them declared, surely this is the prophet we've been expecting. This is who we're looking for. And some said, he is the Messiah. Some people believe. And I want to take encouragement there because even when we, when we stand up in the middle of opposition, some may believe. Look at others, though. They said, he can't be the Messiah. The Messiah will come from Galilee. For the scriptures clearly say that the Messiah will be born from the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where the King David was born. So the crowd was divided. Remember what they argued about before? They talked themselves out of belief because, oh, the Messiah will just show up. And, and nobody will know where he came from. And here they're saying, no, it can't be the Messiah because he came from Galilee and the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. <laughs> they, didn't, they missed our Christmas celebration. <laughs> they didn't have the full picture. Jesus did come from Bethlehem. But they're talking themselves out of belief. How about those temple guards? You remember them, the special forces? How do they react? When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him to us? Here's what the guards say. We have never heard anybody speak like this. They're amazed. They're amazed. We haven't heard anybody speak like this. And so they backed down. They back down. But here's the reaction. When someone begins to believe or ask questions, it says, have you been led astray? The Pharisees, they mock them. They're angry at them. Have you been led astray? Why don't you bring him to us? Is there a single one of us rulers of the Pharisees who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law, and God's curses on him. The, the, 
The leaders are livid. They're angry. They're upset. Why would anyone listen to this guy? And you're the temple guards. We sent you to get him. So they mock them. They kind of say, well, we're the smartest guys in the room and none of us believe in him. They mock the crowd. They give God's curse to the crowd. And then one guy, one guy steps up and he tries to defend Jesus just a little bit and see how they react to him. Verse 50, then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. said, is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? Shouldn't we give him a trial? And here's what they say to him. Are you from Galilee too? Like, are you one of those Galileans? If you're the smart guy like us, you're not going to believe him. You're not even going to question him. You're not going to look at him. Are you from Galilee? They throw up a racial slur. And in a post-Christian world, even entertaining questions of faith will bring opposition. Praying in public, it's going to invite ridicule. Sharing our faith makes us the targets of an intolerant mob. Someone saying, well, they're just proselytizing. It's the same type of reactions that we see in the New Testament. And I know we certainly don't have it as bad as Jesus. But we may experience these same types of opposition. We may have to deal with these same types of things. We may have to deal with a world that is gradually moving more and more away from a Christian understanding of values. And as it becomes more hostile, we're going to find more opposition. And what does opposition bring? We have a choice. Opposition brings choices. We, we could lash back out. We could get angry. We could get bitter. We could, be, we could just hide. We have the choice. Or we could respond like Jesus did. We could choose grace and truth. And so, I know I'm not a prophet. But I believe as I look into the future, I think we're going to see more opposition. Not less, more. I think if we're willing to stand up for Jesus, we're going to find more pushback, more opposition, more things like mocking and ridicule and, and even physical attacks. But I also see that we would be people that would stand up and refuse to back down. That we would be people that would not shut up. That we'd be willing to, with clarity, Respond to our culture and give them truth. That we'd be willing to hold firm to what we know about Jesus and stand for his truth. And see, we, we have a culture that needs Jesus. And Jesus is the only one that can provide freedom from addiction. Freedom from sin. Freedom from from bad teaching and hopelessness and, and misunderstanding. That Jesus is the one that can provide purpose to our lives and meaning. And Jesus is exactly what this world needs, even if it doesn't want it. Opposition is going to bring us a choice. Do we fight? Do we, do we hide? Or do we stand and live truth? In grace. Despite the opposition, 
Choose truth. Choose grace. Jesus showed us how to live, and we have the opportunity to follow in his footsteps. Part of the path of every Jesus follower, this would be hard to, hard, to, hard to hear, part of the path of every Jesus follower is opposition. If we live in more and more and more like Jesus, we're going to find more and more opposition. It's exactly what Jesus found. But it gives us an opportunity to choose truth and grace. And as we live as Jesus lived, and as we speak the truth that Jesus gave, we will present him to a world who desperately, desperately needs truth. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Dear God, thank you for the opportunity to know you. To, to have the opportunity of a relationship with you. And I know when, when Jesus, God the Son, came to this earth, he, he faced opposition. Because he's the light that's shone into the darkness. And, and he, he shone evil for what it was. But God, you gave us truth. You gave us grace. You gave us mercy. You gave us the opportunity to know you and live for you. And God, may, there may be some here this morning that have never accepted that, that message. And God, on that feast day, Jesus stood up and he shouted the truth. He gave the opportunity to believe. And he said, come and drink and accept the living waters. God, may we choose that. If there's anyone here this morning that has never chose to accept Jesus' gift of salvation. Jesus' gift of forgiveness. Maybe someone online, someone that's watching God, would you give them the understanding? God, may, may they accept you. May they speak to you right now and just say, God, I believe that Jesus came for me. That, that he died for me. That he rose again. And that I can find new life in him. God, help me to accept forgiveness. And to accept salvation and a relationship with you only through you. That my faith is solely on you. God, for us that have been following you, we understand that we're going to see opposition. Help us to turn to you in that opposition. Not to fight on our own power. But to ask you for the grace that you said you would provide. Help us to lean on you to stand up, to stand strong, to be people of mercy, to be people of grace, and to give truth in a way that gives people an opportunity to believe. Help us to represent you in this world, in this culture that desperately needs a Savior. God, thank you for your love.
May you be seen in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Great job, Ron. Belief brings opposition, and we believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior.